Let's pray and get into the Word of God together this morning. Dear God, uh, we've been singing our hearts out. We are, so, we are so grateful you are on the throne that all creatures of our God and King belong to you, and that includes us. Our righteous God that Larry just sang about. Oh, God. Oh, God, we praise you. May the, may the teaching now be absolutely clear to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the old black and white movie, uh, The Mutiny on the Bounty? Does that ring a bell? You're not old enough for that one. Mutiny on the Bounty, true story, by the way. There really was an HMS Bounty, and it was captained by Lieutenant William Bly, and it did, it did sail away from England with a crew December 23, 1780, 1787, for a 10-month grueling voyage to the South Pacific, Tahiti. Why are they going to Tahiti? Because they're on a mission. They're going to find breadfruit. What are they going to do with the breadfruit plants? They're going to transport the breadfruit plants to the West Indies because the breadfruit was a source of cheap food for slaves. Nefarious mission. Really did happen. But Captain Bly, it was later reported, was a harsh and vindictive commander. The crew suffered under his frequent tirades, but they made it to Tahiti. Whew. And they rounded up 1,051 breadfruit plants and were preparing to embark when somebody said, oh, by the way, these plants will never survive a transoceanic journey unless you give them five more months to mature. Five more months in Tahiti? What is not to like about that? The crew went wild. Captain Bly was not pleased. Thus were born the seeds of what's going to become a rebellion, and they push away from Tahiti five months later. And 23 days out at sea, April 28, 1789, the mutineers struck, led by, yes, this is the name, Fletcher Christian, early in the morning, burst into the captain's cabin. He's still in his nightgown. They haul him up to up topside deck. Eighteen of the loyal crew and the captain are pushed into a lifeboat. It is lowered into the waters of the South Pacific. Bye-bye. Bounty turns and flees. But get this. In that lifeboat with his crew, Captain Bly equipped only with his pocket watch and a quadrant, navigates that boat 4,164 miles to Timor in the Dutch East Indies and saves himself and his loyal crew, catches another boat back to England, arrives two years and 11 months to the day that he left England, that day before Christmas Eve. Marches into the Admiralty in London and announces the mutiny. Now they know the world. What happened to the mutineers? I'll get to them in just a second. Mutiny on the bounty. But today we're going to call it Mutiny on the Bountyful. Kind of sounds like a story about America, doesn't it? Sounds like a story Jesus told about America, doesn't it? Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Ah, I told you this is dramatic. This is Luke chapter 12. Take a look at this. I'm in the NIV today. Whatever you brought along, tablet, phone, glad you have something. If you didn't bring anything, the Pew Bible in front of you would be page 701 in the Pew Bible. So here's the setting. Here we go. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, 
Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There's nothing worse than a family fight over inheritance. And Jesus replied, verse 14, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he turns to the crowd, verse 15, and he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Hit the pause button right there. May I, may I suggest a thought to you? It's okay. It's okay to have things, but it's not okay for things to have you. Let me repeat that. It's okay to have things, but it's not okay for things to have you. And to prove it, Jesus tells this story. Now, verse 16, and Jesus told them this parable. Here we go. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Hit the pause button again. Please note, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus does not begin his story with a certain rich man had an abundant harvest. Nope. Could have, but he didn't. He doesn't even begin his story. And the farm of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. No, he does not. Jesus is crystal clear. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. In American English, okay, Americans, we, we, we have this phrase called as old as dirt. Man, did you see that guy? He looks as old as dirt. We, we mean awfully old when we say that. Because dirt has been around. Come on, dirt has been around since in the beginning. But guess what? There's somebody in this universe who is older than dirt. And that's Jesus' point. The ground of a rich man. By choosing intentionally that word, he's, he, he is embedding a huge truth for us. Grab your study guide. Let's get the truth down before we continue the parable. Let's just get it down. Their study guide's tucked away with that little booklet, the nominating committee report. It's tucked away there. Pull the study guide out. You didn't get a steady guy when you, you, didn't, you didn't get a bolted? Oh, hold, hold your hand up. We got the ushers coming your way right now. Thank you, ushers. Uh, just hold your hand up and we'll make sure up in the balcony or here. Make sure that you get a steady guy. Just keep your hand up. And those of you who are watching right now on this first day of summer here, if you're above the equator, if you're down south, first day of winter, we're, we're delighted to have you. Let me put it uh, on the screen for you, our website, and you can get the same study guide. There it goes. You see it on the screen. This is a little se mini-series, late spring, early summer, called uh, how, to, how to Quantify Your Happiness, title of today's teaching, Mutiny on the Bountiful. Click on there. You'll say study guide. Click there. You'll have the same study guide. All right? Good. Let's go. All right. Luke, Luke 12, 16. We can get this down. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And what's the timeless truth embedded in that single word ground? Oh, come on. You know it. This is not rocket science. Psalm 24, verse 1. Jot it down. The, the earth, or you can write the ground, or you can write the dirt, is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to God. The dirt, the earth. It all belongs to God. The psalmist continues. This would be Psalm 50, verse 12. The world, quoting God himself, the creator. The world is mine and all that is in it. The scripture is absolutely unequivocal. Like that old spiritual sings. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's the point. 
When Jesus declares that the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, this is very unsubtle language for beginning his tale with this notion. Jot it down. God gave a certain rich man an abundant harvest. That's what he's saying. God gave him an abundant harvest. Would that be true, by the way, of America? Come on. Would that be true, by the way, of this nation? We love to sing it, don't we? We certainly don't remember what we sing, but we love to sing it. How's it go? Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. Now, here it comes. America, America, God, shed His grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. We forget all of that, the God, God's grace stuff. Come on, we built this nation up from, from nothing. That's what we've come to believe. God shed His grace, and the ground of a certain rich nation yielded an abundant harvest. But there has been a mutiny on this bountiful land. We've thrown the captain off, bo off board. D John, you're gone. Goodbye. We're doing this our way. Kind of turned out to be a mess, hasn't it? That's too bad. That's really sad. Mutiny on the bountiful. The problem is we don't realize, as Americans, we don't realize how bountifully we are blessed. Let me put David Redding on the screen for you. This is a, his, his words, a little book called The Parables He Told, classic. You and I are rich beyond the wildest dreams of most people on earth, he writes. Rich in groceries with freezers full of fresh vegetables like we just saw. Right out of the garden in January. Rich in health with magic immunity, miracle medicines, fabulous hospitals filled with Florence Nightingales for tender loving care. We are rich in hundreds of gasoline horses, faster and far more comfortable than any camel. We are rich in houses with huge staffs of mechanical servants to do the laundry and the dishes and furnish whatever weather we wish inside. This parable begins, Reading writes, with a little bit of our own autobiography. The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully, end quote. Mutiny on the bountiful, because we have forgotten from whence it all has come. We've forgotten. Jesus, rich man, he surely has also forgotten. <laughs> Read it again. And here, here, here goes the parable. This is verse 16. Jesus telling it here, the ground of a certain rich man. Let's put it on the screen. Thank you. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself... He had the big harvest now. Wow, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus and my, and my goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You need to know that Jesus has intentionally stacked the deck to make sure that we correctly assess the catalyst, the cause, for this rich man's fatal downfall. Jesus has embedded the first-person pronoun. You know what the first-person pronoun is? I, my, I, my, I, my. He has embedded it over and over again. Now, I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'll read it, and you count. Tell me what the total is when we get to the end here. So here's this rich man. And so his abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Oh, there's number one. What shall I do? I, well, good night. He's going to 
come fast and furious. It looks like, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, how many did you get? Eleven. You're right. Jot it down. Eleven times to the first person pronoun, this rich man takes all the credit, not a single mention of the one who is older than the dirt that yielded the rich man's abundant harvest. But let's make one thing. Please, let's not be... Let's make something very clear here. Don't get Jesus wrong, please. No, 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 no. Jesus teaching... In fact, would you jot this down, please? The teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels make it clear. It is no more a sin to be prosperous then it is a virtue to be poor. Jesus had close friends who were wealthy. Keep writing. Jesus neither condemned wealth in his ministry, nor did he commend poverty. The issue here is not the rich versus the poor or even the middle class. What is so dramatically and tragically clear here is, is that this particular rich man is about to succumb to Spiritual Alzheimer's disease. He has forgotten what God warned the children of Israel. Please don't you ever forget this. Put your finger right here. Let's go back to the Pentateuch, the last book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take a look at this. God says, they're on the cusp. They're on the very edge of the promised land. God says, oh, by the way, through Moses, he says to the children of Israel. Pick it up in verse 10. Please, please. Verse 10. <clears throat> God says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land. See, there it is. Where does that land come from? It comes from God, the ground. Play, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, And all you have is multiplied, verse 14. Then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's God saying? Jot it down, will you please? Just a little summation of what we just read. God say, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Otherwise, your heart will become proud. Jot that down. Your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who redeemed you. You forget. It's all come from me. Pride in your possessions, Jesus, uh, God is telling through Moses, pride in your possessions yields spiritual Alzheimer's disease and the dementia of forgetting from whence all this comes will kill you, as Jesus' story now proves. So you picture in your mind that rich little farmer as he crawls into bed late that night, for hours he's been sitting at his little desk, 
Beneath that, the glaring light of his gooseneck high-intensity lamp and his old trusty adding machine, his sunburned fingers scrambling up and down and across those numbers. I can't believe this. I've done pretty good. I, I better recheck. So he punches all the numbers in again and again and again to make sure that he really is this rich. Finally shaking his head with utter delight. He tiptoes, the man tiptoes up the stairs and crawls beneath the sheets of his bed. As he lies there in the dark, the silvery moon beams down and glistens upon the green and yellow of his John Deere equipment. There he lies in the dark and he commences this absolutely delicious soliloquy, which means you're talking to yourself. And as he's sighing contentedly off to sleep, the midnight curtains by the window tremble ever so slightly, and a chilling breeze sweeps into the bedroom. And on that cold wind, a voice in the dark whispers, You fool! The man moans, Clutches his chest and is dead. Cardiac arrest. The end. Wow. What's your point, Jesus? Oh, he doesn't leave us guessing. I told you to keep your finger there. Just go back one more time, please. Luke 12. The voice in the dark, verse 20, but God said to the rich farmer, you fool. It's the only place in all of Scripture where God personally addresses a person and calls the person to his face, a fool. You fool. This very night, <clears throat> this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus inserts the punchline. Oh, Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. David Redding again. You need to fill this one in. This parable is very sad. I tell you what, every time I read it, it's just, it's just come on, you don't have to end it this way. This parable is very sad, but sad in order to shock us into happiness, to make us stop and take stock as the shadows lengthen over our lives. You're not getting younger. You are not getting younger. We're all getting older. I think, Redding writes, it is agreed that Americans are not so bad. But the question this story raises is not are we good or evil, but are we fools squandering eternity for a pocket full of pleasure? End quote. I find that visualization rather stirring, do you not? Fools squandering eternity for a pocket of pleasure. Well, let's just change it to make it a little more understandable. For a pocket of change, for a pocket of change, you will give up eternity for a pocket of change? You've got to be kidding me. Mutiny on the bountiful for a pocket of change. You're out of here, Captain. I can handle this ship on my own. Adios. Mutiny on the bountiful. How did Jesus put it? So it will be for the teenager, for the young adult, for the man, for the woman who is not rich toward God. So the question that begs to be asked right here is, what does it mean to be rich toward God? 
How can I be? How can you be? How can we be rich toward God? Another classic on the parables, this one entitled Christ's Object Lessons. Dealing with the very same parable makes this point. We quoted David Reddick, now we quote Ellen White. I'll put it on the screen. To live for self is to perish. Covetousness, the desire of benefit for self's sake, cuts the soul off from life. It is the spirit of Satan to get, to draw to self, but it is the spirit of Christ to give. Write that in. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of Christ to give, to sacrifice. Also write that word. To give, to sacrifice self for the good of others, end quote. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to give, to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. In fact, jot this down, will you? Giving. Giving is the most powerful antidote there is for selfishness, for covetousness. I have a problem with selfishness. I'll just be really upfront with you. It's probably not any news to you. But I have a problem with this. Do you know what will cut to the quick with what I, <clears throat> what I struggle with? It's giving. Just give. Give more. Ellen White again, jot this down. Continual giving... Continual giving starves covetousness to death, end quote. Giving is being rich toward God, and it starves to death what is not like God in me or in you. You want to starve selfishness to death inside of you? Then give. You want to be more like God? Godly, that's what it means, to be more like God. You want to be more godly? Then give. God is the greatest giver in the universe, the most generous giver in all the cosmos. You want to be like me, God says? Give. So, jot it one more, one more. So, if you want to be rich toward God, if you want to be like God, write it in one more time, just in case you missed the last two or three. Give. G-I-V-E. Give. Last time we were together, beginning of this little mini-series, we uh, issued to each other this, what, what, what do we call it? The 90-day tithe challenge. You remember that? The 90-day tithe challenge. If you've never tithed before, take, this, take the 90 days of summer. Take the 90 days of summer and say, okay, God, I'm going to test you. Where do we get this test you idea? Let's put it on the screen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God's speaking. Bring me all your tithe. The 10% of your income. He says, bring me all your tithe and test me. You can't miss it. Test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me. Test me. Check me out, please. Test me. And so for the Connect card that day, and a bunch of you signed up for this, praise God, for the Connect card, I said, okay, if you've never tithed before, why not just for, for 90 days? Come on, 90 days. If God doesn't bless you, you just quit tithing immediately. Just stop it. Or if you've started and stopped, started and stopped, started and stopped when it comes to tithing, okay, for 90 days, no start and stop. 90 days all the way through. Then we went home. And then I got emails from you. So I come back the next Sabbath, and I'm sharing these emails. Hey, here's what God did to us. Hey, here's what God is doing in my life. And just unbelievable stories. Remember, we shared them. And some of you said, hey, Dwight, this is, look at I've been tithing. This, this is no big challenge for me. Give me another challenge. So we said, okay, let's do a second tithe challenge. A 90-day, remember that? 90-day second tithe challenge. That's what the children of Israel did. They not only returned the tithe, they gave a second tithe for the needs around the community. So one of you wrote me. Okay, so one of you wrote me after the second tithe, and I have the email right here. 
Hi, Pastor Dwight. Last week when you suggested the challenge of giving a double tithe, I immediately said, no, I will not do that. I thought about giving a double tithe, but I thought it was just a little too much and did not feel impressed to do so. Now, after my initial thought of no, I prayed, to, I, I prayed for God to lead me and impress me in His will. Before, before the Connect cards were collected, I said to my spouse, we need to give a double tithe. Over the next few days, I kept praying for the faith that I lacked to follow through. We have children in school, plus our roof is leaking, a typical list of financial challenges. But yesterday morning, so yesterday, the day that this person is writing, yesterday morning, I made a commitment to God to give a double tithe for the 90 days, which is what I felt impressed to do. At the same time, I'm praying to God to heed, that I might heed His leading in all financial transactions. So yesterday morning, I make, okay, I'll, I'll, God, I'll go with the 90-day second tithe challenge. Yesterday afternoon, so the mail comes. Okay, the mail comes yesterday afternoon. I received a check from a big university hospital. I received a check. Turns out the family had had some medical procedure there long ago, forgotten all about it, and it was a refund from that long-ago hospital experience. Now listen to the person. It is not a coincidence. It is not happenstance. In the morning I say, God... In the afternoon, it is not happenstance. It is God providing me with something tangible to prove He is in control and will take care of us. Thank you for providing this challenge for me to strengthen my faith in God. Wow. Now, I'm not suggesting that if we suddenly begin a second tithe, we'll get some refund from J.C. Penney for all that we've shopped there for. I mean, Penny owes you a lot. No. It's not the whole... This, we don't go into this for that. But this... This email is what it means to be rich toward God. I, guess, I just know that I need to step out in faith. God honored that faith. He will do the same for you. Test me. He says, ask me. Test me. Be rich toward me and test me and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out such a blessing. You're not going to have room enough to store it all. Wow. Be rich toward God. Oh, by the way, I'll share this and then sit down. Uh, that word rich that Jesus uses in the parable, rich, be rich toward God, that word is used elsewhere in the New Testament in a specialized text that describes the transaction that took place on the cross at Calvary. Identical Greek word. Let me show you that text. Put it on the screen, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, write that in, same Greek word, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I mean, there is a huge wow. That's as if Jesus is saying to me right now, hey, Dwight, what I'm asking you to be toward God, and that is I'm asking you to be rich toward God. Do you get that, Dwight? I'm asking you to be rich toward God. What that means is that I'm asking you to be to God what I have already been to you on the cross. I gave up all eternity to save you. You can't get richer than that. I gave you everything in this universe. I emptied the treasury of heaven. I'm wanting you to be rich toward me as I have been rich toward you. Please. Come on. 
I mean, do you, do you really think that God is this grubby old man sitting on the throne of the universe with his fingers going, come on, come on, come on, give me, 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 I want more, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. You think God is that? I don't need your pennies. I don't need a pocket full of change. I own the place. I'm asking you to be rich toward me so that you might become more like me. That's the point. I want you to be like me. Because the people that come home to my house are like me. There's only one other person you can be like. They're not three. They're only two. You can either be like him or you can be like me. I'm asking you to be like me. Be rich toward me as I have been rich toward you. Ladies and gentlemen, the deal doesn't get any greater than that with the good news of the everlasting gospel. Amen. Amen. Take out your Connect card, please. Got mine right here. Also in your bulletin today, visitors. You had a lot in the bulletin today. That's okay. There's also a Connect card. looks just like this. Guests, we're glad to have you worshiping with us today. I want to go, come on, we can't, just, we can't just share a teaching like this and not respond, so let's respond. On the front part of the card, the, the black uh, band on it, Mutiny on the Bountiful, uh, guests, you put on uh, what's, what, you know, information that you're comfortable sharing, your name, how many times, your first guest, time guest, glad to have you, how'd you find out about us, blah, 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 okay? We do this every Sabbath. The regulars, they just put their name. That's all I do, name. Turn the card over. This is called the next step side of the card. There are three options today. I want you to consider these with me. By the way, I never ask you to commit to something I don't commit to. Ever, ever, ever. You have to trust me on that because you don't get to see my card. Box number one, by His grace, I want to be rich toward God even as He has been rich toward me. Why not today? Just put a little check mark there. Figure it out. Come on. Nobody's, nobody's giving you a dollar amount. We're not going to get that specific. That's just you and God. But giving is the healing of covetousness and selfishness. And by the way, the poor can be the most selfish people on earth. Don't you think that the poor are all generous and the rich are selfish? Some of the selfish, most selfish people, gimme, 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 are the poor. So let's not uh, take sides here. Box number one, by His grace, I want to be rich toward God. He's been certainly rich toward me. Man, He's given me the entire universe. One day He says, I'm going to give you the deed to the whole place. Box number two. I, too, like the others, I, too, wish to take the 90-day tithe challenge and see if God will, not, God will not open the floodgates of heaven for me. 90 days of summer, starting right now, the first day of summer. 90 days of summer. Come on, take, take the tithe challenge. Never tithed in your life? 90 days. If God doesn't bless you in the end of 90, you, 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 uh, you uh, drop it. By the way, if God doesn't bless you at the end of the 90, you let me know. We'll refund you the entire tithe. You let me know. You tell me exactly how much you gave. You let me know. We'll refund you the entire amount because God obviously let you down, blessed so many others, but somehow didn't have your name in his Rolodex. Okay, box number three. I, too, wish to take the 90-day second tithe challenge and see if God will not pour out so much blessing that giving will become a way of life for me. I'm already returning tithe, do I? But look at I, I, the second 10%. I, I'd love to see God come through. We just read a letter from somebody who said, hey, came through for me, you know, by the afternoon. That may not happen that way with you. He'll take care of you. See those two blanks? Dwight, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be on that, I want to be in that list. I want to be 
a volunteer leader in this church. Put your name down. We'll fill it in. You want to let us know where you want to serve? Put it down. Second reading comes out next week. You'll be in it. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like someone to pray for you, there'll be prayer warriors up front. They're not going to ask you anything. They just whatever you tell them to pray for, they will pray for you. Well, what's not to like about that? Right after the benediction, we sing the hymn. Yeah. Let's pray. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, those mutineers. Remember the mutineers? Bye-bye, they said to Captain Bly. What happened to them? So here's Paul Harvey's the rest of the story. Thank you for reminding me, Lord. Here's the rest of the story. Nine of those mutineers with some women and children that they snatched. They went back to Tahiti, snatched some women and children, eventually fled to a deserted island in the South Pacific called Pitcairn. You may have heard of it. They waded ashore, burned the ship, sunk it in the harbor. Nobody will find us now. And they set up camp. By 1880, that'd be about 10 years later, all the men of the nine, save one, were dead through drink or fighting. One guy's left with all those women and children. He's rummaging around in some of the luggage they'd pulled off of the bounty, and he finds the ship's Bible. He reads the ship's Bible and gets converted. Comes to Jesus and he says, women and children, sit down. I have something to tell you. And he teaches them out of the Bible and the whole island becomes Christian. 50, 60 years later, somebody named James White, you probably haven't heard of him, but somebody named James White, who has a buddy of his named Jay and Loughborough, they hear about Pitcairn Island and the story and they send a big sea chest full of literature. Ten years later, a Seventh-day Adventist layman named John Tay, who was a ship carpenter, sailed to Pitcairn, had studies with the islanders, and most of the Pitcairners requested baptism, and they wanted to join the Seventh-day Adventist church. And eventually the whole island became Seventh-day Adventist. But before that happened, the word came back to the States, and that launched one of the great mission projects of the fledgling Adventist church, the construction and commissioning of a brand-new missionary ship they christened the Pitcairn. Put it on the screen. This is, an actual, this is an actual photograph, by the way. The Pitcairn set sail from Oakland, California on October 20, 1890, made its maiden voyage to Pitcairn Island, brought along a preacher. They were all baptized. That was the first of six missionary voyages to the South Pacific. And you ask, Dwight, how was the Pitcairn financed? Over a period of 12 months, 1889 to 1890, children and teenagers and moms and dads did extra chores around the house, polished shoes, did yard work, raised the money through Sabbath school, through their Sabbath school offerings, and at the end of 12 months, listen to this, they gave $22,098.35, entirely funding the new missionary ship, the Pitcairn. Wow. Talking about being rich toward God, their legacy, their legacy is our heritage, but not our reason for giving today. We have another reason. I'll put it on the screen for you. God says, be rich toward me, even as I have been rich toward you. And that is why we give. So let's sing a song and give while we're giving.
morning tithes and offerings. This is the time to turn it in, turn it upside down, put your connect card. Ushers, you may stand right now. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you, ushers. And while they're coming your way, there is this song, God Who's Giving Knows No Ending. I love the words, but the tune was impossible. So we're going to put it to a very familiar tune, which you'll recognize, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We'll sing. There are only three stanzas to it, and then we'll pray. Let's sing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 